G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Coming up on Today with Jeff Vines, we're looking back at a series called The Story as Pastor Jeff journeys through major stories, events and key figures of the Bible. In this episode, we're looking back at another account from the New Testament. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Vines. We are taking the gospel to the world. Pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. One truth that will be delivered in love and compassion, connecting every one person to all that God has promised them. You make me want to dance and sing with every single breath I breathe. I will bring this offering. You are my wonder. You bring the wonder. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. What makes Revelation so susceptible to wild imagination is, first of all, it's apocalyptic literature. But when you come to Revelation, you're not looking for the literal first, you're looking for the figurative. That's what Revelation means. That's what apocalyptic literature means. Hello and welcome. My name is Bill and we've reached the final message in our epic series, The Story, a journey through the major events of the Bible. Now, Revelation could be an entire series in itself. In fact, in the near future, we'll bring you more messages from Pastor Jeff that go a little bit deeper into Revelation. But for now, here's Pastor Jeff from the book of Revelation. Uh, if you have your Bibles with you, turn over to Revelation chapter 12. Revelation 12, we're finishing our series called The Story, where we've been going through the major narratives of the Bible. Every time I come to Revelation, I remember the story that I've told often about Bishop Galvin Reed, who is in the UK, who's uh, making his uh, hospital calls. And he comes by the room of this young 12-year-old boy, and he hears the 12-year-old boy say this. He says, God is fair. Now, Bishop Gavin Reed did not know the family nor the boy, but he knew the boy's story. And the boy's story was that he had fallen down the stairs at home, a long flight of stairs, and broken his back when he was six years old. And he spent the next six years to the age of 12, his present age, surgery after surgery after surgery, in enormous, incredible pain for a young man. And Bishop Gavin Reed heard the boys tell his mother and his father, look, mom, look, dad, God is fair. And Bishop Galvin Reed went into the hospital room and said, young man, you don't know me, but I just heard what you said. and I know your story. Can you please explain how you believe God is fair when you've spent half your life in pain? And the little boy looked up and said, why, Bishop, God has all of eternity to make it up to me. Man, that's a great story. That's what the book of Revelation is about as we come to the end of the story, which is really the beginning Revelation is a book that unveils, it opens to us, it lets us go into the spiritual heavens and open the window and have a look in at what God is doing now in the world and what he plans on doing in the future. Now look, I've got a lot to do. I've had two Mountain Dews backstage, and you know what that, you know what that means, coupled with the caffeine. I've got a lot of comfort. I'm going to be talking so fast, faster than normal. I need you to hang on, because here's the deal. Here's the deal. 
Revelation is a fantastic book. There are five words. I can't go through every chapter in one setting, but for now, I got like, what, 35 minutes to cover the book? That's impossible. Or is it? And so, and so listen, there are five words I want to give you, but as I give you those five words, I want to give you the key to understanding because the reason Revelation is so misunderstood, and by the way, I have heard some of the most far out wacky comments on a simple book in the Bible. You say, simple? What's well, more simple than you know? For instance, G.K. Chesterton, one of my favorite authors, wrote this. He said, though John the Evangelist, he's the writer of the book of Revelation, saw many strange monsters in his vision, he saw no creature so wild as one of his own commentators. Do you get what he's saying? He said, you think John had some visions? Some of the preachers and pastors who write commentaries on Revelation, they're the wild ones. They see things that he never intended to see. Now, here's the reason why. What makes Revelation so susceptible to wild imagination? And it's going to help you understand what we do today, because I'll give you one demonstration in Revelation 12, is first of all, it's apocalyptic literature. Apocalyptic literature by nature uses signs and symbols. So when you go through the Bible and you're trying to understand it, the rule of translation or hermeneutics or understanding the application of scripture is that you look first to the literal and second uh, to the figurative. That's true of every other book except apocalyptic literature. You have some in the Old Testament and the New, about four or five books in the Bible. But when you come to Revelation, you're not looking for the literal first. You're looking for the figurative. That's what Revelation means. That's what apocalyptic literature means. It's a genre of literature that exists today and that existed back in the first century. So when you're looking at Revelation, you're looking for signs and symbols to communicate a vision, not literal, but a figurative vision that means to some overarching 40,000 feet view of what God is trying to communicate to the world. But not only is it apocalyptic literature, it's written in code. That's what revelation is. It's signs and symbols. The code is for the purpose of protecting the Christians around AD 70 when John writes the book, because at the present time, there is a widespread Roman policy of persecution. So the Romans are trying to kill all the Christians. So John wants to write these letters encouraging them because these are people who are experiencing mourning, crying, and pain and death. So he wants to encourage them. So he writes in code so that when they receive it, they'll get it. But if a Roman persecutor would to read the passage or read the letter, they wouldn't understand what was going on and it would protect the Christian. But not only that, is it written in code? It's written for us, but not to us. That's why revelation gets misunderstood so often. Sometimes I'll listen to a preacher or read a commentary and they'll talk about Russian helicopters. And I'm thinking, what? Think about it. This is not written to us. It's written for us. It's written to the first century church to encourage them. Now we're going to get incredible spiritual food out of it. And we're going to be challenged and we're going to be encouraged. But when you read it, you got to read it with first century eyes and the code is able to be broken. All you have to do is have an old Testament knowledge because there is not one symbol that's used in the book of revelation doesn't come directly from the old Testament. So if you understand the old Testament well, and the signs and symbols used there, you're going to be able to go to revelation and you're going to be able to understand it. As long as you keep in mind that it was written for the first century, it was written to them and it was written for us. And so there are valuable lessons to learn. The primary uh, position that I take in the book of revelation is that most views of revelation that you hear today come out of the 17th century or after. But the oldest way to understand the book of Revelation is called the cyclical approach. We find this all the way back to the third century. That's a long time ago. And the cyclical approach is just this. Now stay with me. This is the teaching moment, and then we'll get into the preaching stuff, okay? Here's the, here's the cyclical approach. The cyclical approach says that the writer in apocalyptic literature will set the stage with signs and symbols and all kinds of metaphors to communicate a message. And then after he's communicated the message, he will wipe the stage clean and put a whole 
another different of signs and symbols and metaphors to communicate the very same message that the first scene communicated. So he's going to communicate the same message six times in Revelation and then the seventh and the end will come. You with me? So example is like Joseph had two dreams that were different, yet they meant the same thing. Pharaoh had two dreams. They were different, but they meant the same thing. So the book of Revelation is simply this. Six different scenes with totally different characters and signs and symbols, but they all communicate the same thing. Six scenes in a play communicating until the seventh, but the important, most important key of all in understanding Revelation, stay with me now, is that all of history has been viewed by the cyclical approach and also by Old Testament scholars and Old Testament writers. All of history is viewed in terms of seven years. That is, God created three and a half years. He sent his son to establish his kingdom. And three and a half years later, he will return. Now, this isn't a literal three and a half years, is it? It's just all of human history is symbolized in three and a half to seven years. And so when you come across terms, and you will in the book of Revelation, 1260 days, guess how many years that is? Three and a half. And then you'll read 42 months. Guess how long that is? Three and a half years. And you'll have time, times, and half a time. One year, two years, three years, and half. So three and a half years. So that the book of Revelation is simply trying to describe to you the things that will happen from the time Jesus established his kingdom till the time he returns. So it's six scenes ending in the seventh one with what will happen by the time Jesus establishes his kingdom on the earth and the time he returns. It's a beautiful thing. So Revelation kind of becomes unlocked when you understand that these terms are all referring to that the book of Revelation is not primarily about this time, but the book of Revelation is about this time. What can you and I expect to happen in the world during the time of Jesus' kingdom ruling right here on earth in your and my hearts? Now, there's some numbers as well. When you see the number two, it's talking about the ambassadors of God. They always went out two by two in the book of Acts. When you see the number 12, you know it's always about the people of God. 12 apostles, 12 disciples, 12 tribes of Israel. The number seven is always for perfection. The number six, that's why the mark of the beast is 666. It's reemphasizing the lack of perfection. That's the world of evil or evilness. And then God's number is seven, the number of perfection. He does what he does and he does it well. And 10 is the number for completion. So every time you see those numbers, Every time you see these, you know the revelation is talking about the time and those events that will happen between the time Jesus establishes his kingdom and the time he returns. And when you see these numbers, you know that God is trying to give a message. An example, quickly. I know I'm going fast. I know I'm going fast. Just stay with me for a second. This is a teaching time. And like I said, two dot Mountain Dews and sugar. Stay with me. A good example is the number 144,000. Because we're in Revelation, we're not looking for a specific literal number of 144,000. We're looking for what that number might symbolize. And as you look at 144,000, and those of you who have not read Revelation, those are the number of people that are supposed to make it into the kingdom, right? Well, it's a symbolic number because it uses the number 12 and the number 10 as multiples. 144,000, you need 12s and you need 10s. So it basically is trying to tell you that all the people of God will go to heaven. It's that simple. And when you start to look at it like that and start, well, who are the 144,000? I got to find them. Well, it's all the people of God. Now, the most important thing, however, about Revelation, remember, we're trying to do this in one message, is that there are five power words. Last words are important, and Revelation is the last word of God to man. Not the last, last, but in his revelation or in what we call the canon of Scripture. And I want you to know what these words are. And here's the thing, as I take you through them, it's supposed to culminate or climax in the fifth word And when you hear that fifth word, folks, you're supposed to have a life change. There's supposed to be something that you get. All of a sudden, your eyes are open. You're supposed to have a spiritual awakening whereby you say, man, if these things are true, dude, I got to change my life. I got to live differently than I've ever been living. Because I know this truth now, 
I can no longer live the way I've been living in the past. I've got to change for the future. And I want to take you through those words. They're all in Revelation. They are the five catchwords of the book of Revelation. And then right halfway through the sermon, which you think has already arrived, but it hasn't. I'm going to take you through Revelation 12 just quickly to give you a demonstration of one of those stages that have been set and what God wants to communicate to us. So here's the first word. The word is truth. Say it on the count of three. One, two, three. Truth. One more time. One, two, three. Truth. The Bible says in Revelation chapter one, verse 14, as we're introduced to the ancient of days, this is the Messiah. This is the Christ that the hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. This is a symbolism to say that, you know, like Superman can kind of penetrate your clothing, which is scary as you get older, isn't it? But this is the real Superman and the God-man, Jesus Christ, the Ancient of Days, is able not only to penetrate past your clothing, but penetrate into the soul. And he knows truly what you've been living your life for. You can say what you want to say, and you can make people think one thing about you, but the reality is the day is going to come when truth is going to reign, and God is going to look into your life and he's going to know whether you're living for the kingdom of God or whether you're living for yourself. You won't be able to hide it. The day will come. I used to have this friend in New Zealand when we pastored there. Her name was Susan. Susan committed what I call bibliolatry. Now here's what bibliolatry is. It's where you know your Bible back to front. I mean, you could win a Bible bowl contest and you could probably win a debate with most pastors. But the problem is the words of the Bible have never made it into your life. It's all head knowledge and there's no change. There's no power. And so one day I took Susan out. I said, Susan, we got to talk because I noticed she loved to debate and she loved to argue scripture. And I said, look, I know you got the scripture in you, but it's making no difference in your life. You still have a bad temper. You still gossip. You still slander. Dude, what's going on? And I said, walk me through every day of your life. And here's what she did. She says, well, I start with a Bible study. Oh, shocker, surprise there. I said, what do you do after that? Then after the Bible study, it's like everything she did was for her own self-aggrandizement. It's about having friends and frolicking and having parties and doing whatever she wanted to do to make herself feel better. And I said, look, do you not see that there's nothing in your life? We've been over every day, every week, every month, and there's nothing in your life to show me that you're investing in anything outside yourself. You know the Bible well, but if it was really changing you, you would not live for you. You would live for a purpose greater than yourself. Do you know the Bible actually says in 2 Timothy 3, it says in the last days, people will be lovers of money, lovers of themselves, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. So you can look all godly and you can carry your Bible and you can pray and God's spirit not be in you. So the ultimate question is, what are you living your life for? Really? I know what you say. And I know what I say, but what are you truly living for? If I followed you around and I see the way you spend your time and your money and your talents, what would I notice? Are you building your kingdom or God's? The Bible says in Revelation that one day the truth is going to come out and this eyes of fire in the ancient of days is going to look through you and you're going to know and God's going to know and all of humanity is going to know what you really lived your life for. Building bigger barns, eat drinking and being merry, or are you living for the kingdom of God? and its expansion. Is that what fires you up? Is that what makes the blood go through your veins? Does that get your heart pumping? And one day everyone will know. Say it with me. Number one, truth, truth. Number two, justice, justice. You ever been to Dodger Stadium? Have you ever been to Dodger Stadium when the umpires made a bad call? First time I went to Dodger Stadium, the umpire made a bad call and it cost the Dodgers a run. Man, the animosity and anger that was coming from the stadium, especially out in right field. It was like, kill the umpire. I mean, when the umpire makes a bad call and then they feel like an injustice has been done, it's not simply maim the umpire or torture the umpire. Only one thing will suffice, death. (laughs) 
We protest unfairness and we want justice in every area of life. I was just reading another article that I'd saved from, that's probably 10 years ago, but it was about a man that lived right here in LA. By the way, the article was in the LA Times, if you want to Google it. It's about a man by the name of Mr. Hagler. And Mr. Hagler drives a red sports car. And he was driving down the 210, coming this way, between uh, Claremont and San Dimas. And as he's driving on the 210, he's just going with the flow of traffic. And on this particular day, it tended to be around 75 miles per hour. Now, I know none of you would ever speed in my congregation or in God's church. You would never speed. But you would keep up with the traffic, wouldn't you? If everybody's going 75, you're going 75 too. So Mr. Hagler gets pulled over by a police officer. And he explains to the police officer, look, I got a perfect driving record. And you're about to ruin it. And the police officer said, no, you're about to ruin it. He said, but wait a minute. I was just going with the flow of traffic. I was not going faster or slower than anybody else. But I feel like you've targeted me just because I have a red sports car. And I think this is unfair. And I'm begging you, just let me off with a warning. I promise you, I'm usually a safe driver. I've got a perfect driving record. I will drive safely from here on out. And the police officer wouldn't have nothing to do with it. And he said, no, I'm sorry. I'm going to have to write you a ticket. It's like 280 bucks or something ridiculous 10 years ago. Now... The story goes on to say that the uh, Mr. Hagler, who drove the red sports car, true story, three months later was in Colorado, and he was umpiring a softball game, and guess who came to bat? This highway trooper. And their eyes looked at each other. They immediately recognized each other. And the highway trooper kind of looked at him, the umpire, and he said, uh, hey, uh, how how'd the thing with that ticket work out? And man, Mr. Hagler took off his umpire mask and he spat tobacco juice on the ground, looked him right in the eye and said, you better swing at everything. (laughs) True story. Revenge is sweet, man. Revenge is sweet. That's why Arnold Schwarzenegger movies did so well, because he'll be back and we want somebody to come back. Now, on on a less humorous note, folks, our world is just not fair. It's not. And we know it. We know there's something wrong. This is a world where children are stolen, sold, and enslaved in the sex trade. And they're asked to perform sexual acts 20 to 40 times a day. We live in a world where human trafficking is a growing epidemic. There are more slaves on planet Earth today than there's ever been, and 5.5 million of them are children. Sri Lanka, Thailand, and Brazil are the top three countries in the world for child prostitution. Guess what country's number four? The United States of America. Do you know that Orange County is the gathering place and the dispersion place of child pornography? Did you know that? And of child trafficking. So one of the most wealthy counties in the world. For much of those young children, it begins right down there. Then there are the Robert Mugabe's of the world who enslave his people. There's ISIS. There's Saddam Hussein's. There's the Taliban, the Al-Qaeda's. People and organizations have little or no respect or concern for human life. The mistake most people make is this. You think, we think that delayed justice is the same thing as no justice. But the Bible says one day justice is going to roll like a river. That every man and woman is going to stand before God and give an account for the way they've lived their lives. And these eyes of fire that penetrate into the soul is going to know the life you lived. As a matter of fact, folks, in the book of Revelation, there are two words translated wrath. You've got orge and thumos. These words penetrate the book of Revelation, but they're very different words. Orge is the kind of wrath that God has right now. It's a wrath that God just lets it build up because he's patient right now because it is not his will that any man should perish, but all should have everlasting life. So God has this incredible patience with humanity, but it's festering and it's boiling. And one day it moves from orgate to thumos. Thumos is the word for an explosive volcano. One day the wrath of God is going to be suppressed long enough and it's going to come out and justice is going to roll like a river. 
Just because things aren't happening now doesn't mean justice isn't going to happen in the future. And the Bible says that one day truth will shine like the sun and that justice will roll like a river. And he's going to look into your life and my life. Will justice roll in our lives? Absolutely. No individual is immune. Say it with me. Number one, trust. Number two, justice. Number three, and this is where it gets interesting, salvation and persecution. Salvation and persecution. The reason I put those together is because they are inextricably tied together. You can't have one without the other. Now, here's what I want to do. Take a deep breath, everybody, so I can. And here we go. Revelation 12, we come to one of those plays, one of those sets on the stage that's attempting to describe the types of things that are going to happen between the time Jesus established his kingdom till the time he returns. 1260 days, 42 months, time, times, and half a time. And we're introduced to this woman who is clothed with the sun and the moon is under her feet. And it's a beautiful portrait because we've got 12 stars garlanded in her head. Now we know from the symbols in the Old Testament that the sun and the moon represent glory and majesty. So this is a good person. This is a, this is a good guy. And the 12 stars is a giveaway. This is something to do with the people of God, whether it be Israel or the church or whatever, but this is the people of God. And the Bible says the woman is about to give birth. And as the woman is about to give birth, there is a fiery red dragon that we're introduced to. And the red represents blood and destruction. So this is a bad guy. And we're told that the dragon has seven heads, which is authority. Anytime you see seven, you've got what? Perfection. So this is a perfect authority somewhere. Maybe not in the universe, but the Bible does say he is the prince of the power of the air, that you and I are children of God, but the whole world lies in the power or control or the sway of the evil one. So he has seven heads of authority and he has 10 horns, which is another symbol of authority. So this guy, whoever he has got a lot of authority and a lot of power, and he wears the diadem crown. Now the Christians wear the Stephanos crowns, and sometimes they will wear the crown of authority, the diadem crowns, but the bad guys, they never wear Stephanos crowns. That's the crown of martyrdom for the sake of the cause of Christ. The bad guys always wear the diadem. And so we're told that this dragon, this fiery red dragon is waiting to devour the child that the woman is going to deliver. But the Bible says it's beautiful that this dragon is the one that took his tail and he flung a third of the stars out of the heavens. And that's language right out of Isaiah chapter 12 through 14. The devil at one point was Lucifer, the morning star, and he had free will just like everybody else to reject or to go with God. And he rejected God and tried to usurp his authority. And the Bible says he took a third of the ministering servants with him and he's plunged to the earth. It's that entity that tried to kill the Messiah as the woman gives birth to the son, doesn't that sound like a good Christmas story? Well, a bad one, but it sounds like the Christmas story you know, where Herod has a policy of persecution for every two-year-old child and younger. The Bible goes on to say that the beauty of it is, even though the serpent, even though he tries to kill and destroy the child, that God took the woman and put her out in the wilderness and protected her for how long? 1260 days. How long? The entire time between the time Jesus set up his church and the time he returns, the Bible says God will never let the gates of Hades prevail against his church. The dragon may pursue. You may lose some of the battles in your life, but you will never lose the war. And the church may have times when it looks down and out, but it will always conquer. And one day it will shine like the stars in the sky and God will be our God and we will be his people. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Thanks for joining us. Next time, we'll bring you the rest of this message from Pastor Jeff. Now, the reason this is such a good story is because it reminds us of a couple things, that the stage has been set and the play is very simple. 
Salvation is here. You, you understand that, right? No need to fear the dragon. You're in the church. You're among the people of God. And there's power in your life. You are safe with God. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts. You make me Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. Hey, this is Pastor Jeff, and I want to tell you I'm very excited about an upcoming series called The Trouble with Christianity. What I find is a lot of people are really interested in pursuing Christ, but there's a few things they believe, Christians believe, that they just can't get their head around. And we're going to deal with those in hopes of helping people discover the truth about Christ and Christianity. Don't miss the series. Today with Jeff Fines. For all of this message and for much more in this series, you can listen again wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.